This is the Land Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. Alrighty, guys, welcome back to another Land and Legacy podcast. We've got a good one for you this week, and um, we're, we're talking specifically management in the South with Alan Summerford, consultant for Land and Legacy, and some of his recent consulting trips that he's done, and basically taking the high points out of those. What were the problems? What were the solutions? How are you setting them up to move um, and get better down the road? Before we jump into that podcast, though, um, want to make sure that everyone is aware of a whitetail workshop weekend that we are hosting in conjunction with the Buffalo Nickel Lodge in Western Kansas. Guys, this is a phenomenal five-star lo- uh, lodge opportunity. Fine dining. There's there's guest room up for 14 people in that lodge. So we're capping the event at 14 people. So it's going to be a very intimate setting. Um, we're going to be learning together. Again, not one-on-one, obviously, but it's not this massive group learning opportunity. There will be multiple instructors from Land Legacy there, May 16th through the 18th, to work and teach, like learn everything that we can about whitetails and the management of the habitat for whitetails specifically that we teach on consults, and it's going to be present there. But in addition to that, your lodging, the, the meals, like world-renowned chef kind of thing is going to be there. Plus, they're opening up their long-range shooting um, ranges and instructors in the afternoon. So we're going to learn whitetails. We're going to take some breaks, going to eat some great food, learn how to shoot long distance with their instructors. It's going to be a heck of a three-day event, and we want you guys there. So if you're interested in that event, go to mallardbay.com and search the Buffalo Nickel Lodge Academy or type in Land Legacy. You'll see that event come up May 16th through the 18th. You're going to learn a lot. Lodging, meals, instruction, everything is included in that price. Just get there. And we hope to see you there. 14 spots available. So they're going to go fast. But guys, hopefully we'll see you in Western Kansas May 16th through the 18th. In addition, if you're in the market for a new UTV, Check out the Can-Am Defender through Pitbull Power Sports. They're located out of southwest Missouri, but they have some regional locations. Also ask about the Land and Legacy package within those Can-Am Defender lines. And if you're not from that region, guys, still call ahead. You never know what kind of deal you can get with Pitbull Power Sports. They are big, and they want to work with you and set up a UTV specifically with the Land and Legacy package for the land manager. So, Pitbull Power Sports, give them a call. Okie dokie. Alan, we got the business out of the way. Let's get to the business, straight to the habitat business is what I'm talking about. You've been busy, dude. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been good, though. Yeah. Um, been here, there, everywhere, and this next couple of weeks is going to be even busier. So, even looking busier. forward to seeing some more properties, but yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been good. Road Warrior, man, it's kind of... Um, it it's a blessing and a curse. I love it. Like it's like can't quite get enough of. Could every single day is a new, it's a new 
um, problem solution to find and work through within the habitat in regards to landowners' goals. And I absolutely love that challenge because every property's got the different challenges. But similar to what Adam and I have done in the past is we want to take time and talk about what those challenges were that you came across. Because at the end of the day, those people who are listening to this right now might find themselves in a very similar challenge. So if we can provide and present that problem, and then you talk about the solution, it's going to help them. And so, yes, generally speaking, you are you are concentrating your efforts throughout the southeast, um, southeast U.S., that's Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee. That's that's kind of core area. And hey, you actually might be going to Florida here soon too. So yeah, um, I got one brewing right there on the, ooh, on the Florida like line. So that's like nice. It. So you you you're hyper focused there. Um, but but for those who aren't in that region, you you still really need to stick around for the conversation because I know that this the problems that we're going to talk about are not. Um, exclusive to the Southeast whatsoever. So you'll still have lots of good information to come from this. So Alan, I want to turn it over to you and just kind of walk us through, I think we got three different farms we're going to cover in a short amount of time. So high level, hey, here was the goals, here was the farm, and here's how we're going to address that. Yeah, well, since everybody's got turkeys on the brain, we'll start with the turkey farm. It's um, 113 acres. And uh, the guy said, he's like, I don't give a rip about the deer. I think I've got six deer living on my farm right now. I don't have any bucks. I might see a buck cruise through every now and then. And I said, okay, so we'll go 100% turkeys. Because when you focus 100% on turkeys, it's just slightly different than deer. It's going to be a little bit less bedding thickets and that yep. kind of thing set up across the property. But we're going to intensely manage any opening for turkeys. We're going to intensely manage the timber. And we're going to intensely burn. Um, so touring the property, you know, I would say 80 acres of it was closed canopy timber. And he talked about all the cover he had. Well, the cover he had was privet. Oh, I'm like, well, yep. you know, that's that's not a good thing. And he had actually done a little bit of burning to help try to control the privet. But, you know, I have seen this too in a lot of, a lot of cases when you try to burn through privet, um, the privet actually just holds enough moisture on the ground yes. that unless you're burning during a burn ban, it's, you might get a top kill of some privet or you might kill the occasional privet, but really takes several fires to really actually get it under control. And you pretty much going to have to build some fuel through there to oh. be able to get the fire hot enough to kill the privet. Yeah. The fuel loading in a dense thicket of privet is like non-existent unless you're in a, it's surrounded by pines. You get, pine throw down there but like dude there it's sometimes it's hard to find enough fuel underneath of them to actually get it hot to, to do what your the whole purpose of burning that that unit is and so we uh he had, and he knew he needed to get rid of the privet but um so he had he had taken a skid steer and he's already gotten several chunks since i left the property opened up and done as far as the privet which mm -hmm. i told him you know the best the best way to treat privet is in the fall. Yep. Um, I like to take, especially if you've got a, like just a hedgerow of it down the edge of a field or something like that, where it's not really in the woods that much. If you just take a, I do it on a windy day after a frost, 
I take my four-wheeler sprayer and just go right down there and let the wind blow it into the privet so I can get good coverage uh-huh. all over the privet. And because sometimes they're, they're big and tall, you can't reach them. Yep. And there's too many stems to go in there and try to hack and squirt yep. or flush cut and treat. Um, but you can do that. And, uh, man, it, it hammers the privet and you really don't kill hardly any natives. Yes. If at all. Because it's post-frost um, and the privet's still yep. holding leaves. Well, real yep. quick, what is that um, herbicide cocktail? Because I know someone's saying, oh, I could do that. What, but what do I spray? What do you spray on? Glyphosate. Glyphosate. Okay. And that's all I spray. Um, that way you don't have any ground activity. Um, you know, if you use Remedy or something like that, if you got some big overstory oaks, there's there's potential chance in harming some, some oaks and stuff like that. But the glyphosate, everything else is dormant. It's literally only going to hurt what it touches a leaf that's actively growing. Yep. Good. So you've had good good control over that. Um, and he's starting to, to chip away at the privet and get, get that aspect of uh, the woodland closed canopy forest removed and probably edges of those those fields and openings too. Yep, exactly. And so uh, then he's got, you know, his, his species composition of timber was actually really, really good. Mm-hmm. It was it was oak and pine mix, and he'd had a forester come out there, and the forester said, look, I, there's really not any trees I can cut out here. Mm-hmm. Um, he has the occasional trees that are big enough, but they're sure. so scattered throughout the property yep. that, you know, it would just take a logger too much time to go and, and yep. pick out the trees to put on a truck. And so um, – very, very um, intense TSI was prescribed across the property and in different stages. Some places it was more light TSI than medium TSI. And then even some places he had um, a south slope. It was really rocky. Yep. And the trees that were growing there, you could tell were older, yep. but more kind of sprawling tops. And so we created savanna type habitat on that or prescribed savanna type habitat on that part of the property. Um and it was, uh, you know, across the property, he's basically going to be taking out any sweet gum, poplar, pines, and uh, I think a few a few hickory here or there. Sure. The, the rest of what was left is kind of like, you know, your white oak and your mountain oak or chestnut oak yep. for all, you, all the northern guys. Um, and, uh, and so, like, it was a pretty good composition. Even leaving the occasional pine, he had some short leaf pine there, so like I told him, like any lawball you want to take out, but leave the short leaf would be, would be mm-hmm. phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he had he had one section that he had actually done TSI on, and of course it was the best looking part of the whole entire farm. And uh, but he had he had done thirty percent TSI. Yep. So it just wasn't quite enough. I said, you know, we got. He got about knee-high response, herbaceous response. I said, so that's the that's the minimal amount I want you to do anywhere on the property. I said, take that one, replicate it, do just a little bit more, and you're there. And so uh, he's he's as soon as I left, he had got to work. He actually had a crew of guys that he has that actually comes out there and on their free time, and they they actually take all the wood with them. So it's oh wow. On a turkey situation, I, was gonna ask. I don't want to do quite as much just flush cut and drop and like, you know, thicken the woods up too much. We're really look, looking for the herbaceous type response yep. in the timber. And so like I I prescribed hack and squirt for most of it. And he said, well, well, what if you just like cut the tree and take it off the farm? I said, well, even better. 
I yes. said, cut the tree, treat the treat the stump, yes. remove the can or remove the log, and then man, that's even that's that much better. So he's already gotten, I think he's already gotten three sections done, which he's got like One. I don't know a bunch of sections. I think it's like yes. fifteen different sections. Right. Um, but he is going hard at it, full core. He's already burned in a couple of sections that he's thinned, and uh, that property's wow. already you know. It's on its way to being a really, really great property for turkeys. He didn't waste I, any time. No, not at all. And I told him, I Love said, it. you know, you may not care about your deer now. And I said, the reason why you don't care about your deer now is you've got six. Yes. And those six are the, <laughs> just a, a little family group of does. You don't yes. have any buck activity. I said, when you start doing this work, you're probably going to start seeing more deer and better quality deer. Sure enough, he's like – after he started dropping all those trees and everything, he yep. said, man, my deer have exploded. Oh, yeah. And he said, I've been in here every day working. I said, yeah, they're coming out there and they're nibbling on those tops you started knocking down. For sure. And I said, just wait. You're probably going to have a buck you're going to want to chase next year. I said, uh, so, you know, all this work you're doing is going to benefit the turkeys, and that's our goal. But I guarantee you, your deer are going to be better for it as well. Oh, for sure. So, that's so cool. I'm I'm glad you specified what kind of that not only not just generically TSI right, but levels of TSI um, based on slope aspect or based on the species composition. You've got varying degrees of canopy opening, but everything is getting open to some degree. Um, so from light, medium, heavy, and then also specifying to him and for everyone else listening what techniques of TSI you're going to be recommending. It would have been heavy hack squirt to reduce ground clutter with debris that's being harvested. But because he has that option, you decide to say, perfect, let's cut stump, treat, and then they take the rest of it. That would accomplish hack squirt on a quicker degree. Because, right, you're killing the tree, but you're not shedding limbs. You're dropping it and taking it out. So, fantastic recipe from turkey standpoint varying varying degrees of opening you're treating invasives he's burning and you're doing tsi from a turkey standpoint at the right intensities but also at the right techniques of of treating trees that is a like very very important because you can go in there add a bunch of sunlight but make it Let's say you you could degrade the quality potentially for turkeys initially if you chop and yeah. drop too much. Right, it makes it harder for them to move through. It's a little bit sketchier. They can't see through it. They, it's it's a, almost yeah. like them walking through a tall trap. field that they can't see through. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing I did is kind of small, but um, he had several food plots on the place, and yep. so I thought, well, you know, what are you putting in your food plots if you're focusing on turkeys? And he's like, oh, I'm just do, doing the fall blend, or, you know, your basic wheat, oats, rye. Mm-hmm. Right, and I'm like, well, you know, you might rethink that because if we're thinking turkeys and 100% turkeys, um, you may switch over more to clover. I said, I don't want a food plot that potentially could kill poults, um, being thick and wet in in the that early or late spring, early summer stage. You know, and all that wheat, notes, and rye is basically a dead zone for turkeys when yeah. it gets too thick and rank and tall, and so. Um, you know, I'm okay with you planting that. He said he, he does that just for the deer. And I said, well, I'm okay with you planting that, but like, let's let's spray out the wheat and oats and stuff before they, they bolt and get too sure. tall and then just have clover. 
and uh, then you got more bugging opportunities and and all of that in the in the area as opposed to just a, a ranked field that you know potentially could could hurt poults that are walking through you know tall wet grass. Yeah, and let so. let that clover flower. That's going to bring in the bugs. Let some weeds through growing seasons, mm-hmm. you know, bloom up. Let ragweed canopy over. Let it be really good brooding cover throughout there, and then pre-fall. Um, before deer season, you can come in with herbicides and clean it up once they're past the more critical one month, one month old stage for for poults. That's perfect. And he even asked me, "Well, turkeys love wheat," and I said, "Yes, but baby turkeys yes have to eat bugs. Like they're not eating seeds as much when they're first, you know, born and everything. They're they're seeking that high high protein, the calcium that's in the exoskeleton of the mm-hmm. bugs. They're seeking all of that out. So that's their that's their main food source, and so um, we got to attract as many bugs as we can. Um, created several wildlife openings. He had several areas that were almost wildlife opening, like they were just a little bit more open areas in the timber. Yeah. And the road goes through, and like, hey, let's just open up these even farther. Um, make these little wildlife openings to make you know just some more broodering habitat scattered across the farm. Um, that's that's just a little bit different than the timber. But right, and that I love it, and that pretty much wraps up that property. But it was uh, it was really neat that he was he was so focused on on turkeys, and he wanted to do everything he can to get turkeys, and he loves quail too. Um, but I don't know that. I mean, just driving around, I didn't see yeah, any sure. quail habitat within three miles of his place. I'm like, you know, you you may not ever get quail, but you know, if there's a quail around, they're going to be attracted to your farm. Yes, right. Very cool. That sounds like a, a really good breakdown let's say of what he can do and what was the size of this place 113 acres 113 so so a pretty intense 113 acres in the management um recommendations of what it's going to be doing and offering for for the 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 turkey and that one's going to go pretty quick um from from an implementation standpoint with the way he's the way he is attacking it so Going back to that thing, driving by, half hour, hour tour, two years down the road, you better send me pictures of that thing because that's going to be pretty dang sweet to see that. Oh yeah. Well, the cool thing is, is he's his neighbors all have cattle around him, so you know that's going to even help his turkeys out as well too because they're gonna they're gonna be you know hanging out in his in his timbered areas, but then brooding a lot out there in the neighboring cattle pastures. So. Right. He's got kind of the best of all worlds um, all the way around him. And then he's got some bigger, old, older growth timber across the road up a hill. And he said, that's where they always winter mm. is in all the big timber. He yep. said, but I do get turkeys coming in here. And he said, they hang out right here in this one spot where I did the TSI. And I was like, well, imagine that. <laughs> yes, no doubt. No doubt. Good. What, so, uh, what, what, what's another one that you got? Um, the other one is actually a neighbor. Um, cool. He, uh, I bought I bought some property and he actually bought some property the same year and it's literally right across the road from me. So anytime I can go and help out a neighbor, um, I'm I'm super excited. And uh, and even though he he told me he's like I, I started sharing you know pictures and stuff with him. He's like man I, I that deer walked onto my place and I'd have had to shoot that. And I said well yeah that's fine. I get it. I understand. And so he's not quite to the level yep. that I am yet, but my thing is is i would rather get him to the level i'm at quicker 
than him to stay at the level he's at and just always be in yes. that same mode. And then I've got to worry about any deer that I grow walking over there. So yeah, I may lose a deer or two here, but hopefully he will soon get to my level and then we can be on the same page and we can manage deer and hold deer and have this, and he's going to be helping me grow the same deer I'm trying to, I'm trying to grow and hunt. Yeah. So uh, it was really cool. And, and what you mean by level is just level of what he's wanting, willing to harvest versus pass. Yes. Yes. So yes. right now the, the deer I, I, for instance, I, I showed him it's a three-year-old deer yep. has potential to blow up and be in the one fifties yeah. um, without a doubt in my mind, maybe better. And, uh, it's, and he's a good deer right now. Most people in Alabama, I'd say 95% would shoot this deer right now as he stands. Yep. Um, but you know, I was able to hold him all year long and I'm hoping that he said he never got a picture of him, Interesting. but you know, um, and he has a lot of the same type habitat. Yeah. And, uh, but the problem was he needed a little help with his camera strategy. Right. Um, where he had picture or where he had cameras. I'm like, well, man, I, I can see why you probably never got a picture of this deer. Right. You just got your cameras out there just at random across the property. One's on a corn feeder. And, uh, and so, you know, that's kind of what his camera strategy was. His, his food plot failed this year, which is, you know, I'm not surprised. A lot of people's did in the drought we had. Sure. Um, but half of his property was pines and the other half was kind of old field type stuff. It was basically where the other pines had got clear cut and just left to grow back. So it was yeah. a lot of like really, really, really thick, um, thousand trees per 400 feet. Um, <laughs> like yeah. it's like it's just dog hair thick regen pines which is the absolute worst thing yeah, you could really you could have because it'll just get um shaded out so thick deer won't even walk through it it won't be any food um and so the the biggest thing here on, on a smaller property is you can do so much more so much quicker um he he had one area that they were bedding but it was all kind of like behind his stance okay and yeah it's like we need to you know we need to get this we need to get our bedding pushed in a different direction let's put bedding all behind your food plot more centrally located into your farm and uh let's try to get deer to start bedding there instead of just kind of randomly bedding out here in this old field stuff and uh so we we walked in there and we, we found two or three awesome locations there was already a couple of deer beds there too but there just wasn't quite that quality side structure you know yeah higher stem count um so we we've prescribed some bedding thickets right there and it transitioned between his pines and between his food plots and all the old field type stuff so it's going to set up really really well and uh he needed the pines thin the pines were at that stage where they had already needed to be thin probably five years ago but he when he first bought the property um he had a four and of course he's only got like i don't know 13 or 15 acres of pines sure and it's like forester's not going to come out there for yeah, a thing tough. of 13 acres of pines but luckily i've got really good connections um with foresters and everything one of my best friends i went to high school with i called him up and it's like hey man i got a buddy he needs some pines cut and i, I said can you get it done and he said, man, I'm actually close to there right now. He said, I'll put that on my, my ticket. We'll be there the very next place we go. And I said, oh my sweet. Goodness. 
Yes. So uh, he's getting he's fixing to have his property transformed really quick. Um, lightning and, fast. Yes, lightning fast. We're going to basically create a road all the way around his pines. Um, then he's going to have a couple of bedding thickets in the pines that we're just going to have the forester go in there and, and clear cut those sections. Yep. And it's it's going to just add to the transitional of the other bedding thickets. It's in the kind of little hardwood units. And man, his the center of his farm is going to be really, really hopping. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he's got perfect access to get into all of his stands. He's going to be able to access along his perimeter now, which he wasn't able to previously. And uh, and then um, he's going to have he's going to have a couple water holes put in, possibly even a pond. He kind of wants a pond. Sure. We actually found one location for a pond, so he's going to you know he's going to have a place to take his kids out there and catch a fish, wet a line every time they they go in the summertime and hang out and stuff. And so this property is going to set up extremely well now and i'm actually going to get to he's going to hire me to do his burning we've got the burn plan today nice and uh, so we're going to get rid of all those little bitty pine trees today and get his old fields back in shape and the good thing is he's got really really good quality habitat in those old fields he's got the right species of plants um the seed bank over there is just absolutely phenomenal and uh so we get a couple burns in there it's going to really really stand out I'm excited to see it. I love how sometimes with small properties, you can go and make those transition and those those um, alterations quickly, and like you can address the whole thing, and just knock it into shape so fast. And that's a value to small properties that a lot of people just completely overlook. Of big, they think big. I got to go more acreage is better, but really it's like. You could go smaller farm, more malleable habitat, or have the right plan and the right people to assist with the plan and get down the road and have a bigger impact than having a property of twice its size. That's that, that's the, the benefit of improved habitat versus just acreage that looks the same, yeah. doesn't offer anything of value. And then, you know, you're you're pretty much, you know, when it's right on those smaller properties – it's extremely good. Yeah. You can you can use your cameras and I, I do this all the time with even big properties, but smaller properties especially, I kind of stay out of those smaller properties 100%. a little bit more and then you hunt them when it's when it's right and you just let your cell cameras kind of do your work for you. Yep. You start recording historical data on those properties. Yes. So, you know, you'll know you'll know exactly the week almost to the day of when you need to hunt that property and where you need to hunt it. So I went over very, very strategically with this guy. You need to have trail camera and mock scrape right here. Yep. Uh, this is going to catch any deer transitioning from bedding. You need to have trail camera and mock scrape right here. This is going to catch deer. Any deer that's going to try to come into your food plot, he's going to come in right here. So you're going to know when he's in your transition, when he's in your food plot, you're going to know when the buck's on the property and you run out there and make it happen. Yes. And so instead of just having a, a, a camera over some bait or even having a camera over a food plot, you can get lucky sometimes and catch the buck on a bigger food plot. But we're going to be 90% certain when that buck uses the plot, he's going to enter it right here yep. and use this scrape. It can be down to that level of degree if you manage appropriately. So it's not something for those listening that are like, 
Yeah, that sounds like a dream scenario, but can it actually happen? It can, and it does if you do the work. Yeah. And he's going to get a little bit of the work done while the timber crew is there. So I've even talked to Forrester. He's going to reach in there and grab some of the trees that we were just going to girdle. Right. And uh, he's going to, he's going to help us out a whole lot on our TSI. There's like a little strip of hardwoods all the way around his pines. So he's going to just reach in there and grab specific trees. And then all we got to do is just go in there and just manipulate a few trees. And we've got our bedding thickets, our TSI, our pine stand, all in one fell swoop. And uh, the property is going to be phenomenal by this time next year. So, man, that's, that's great. I mean, that's really, that's really good. Awesome. Um, yeah, managing and thinking square foot opposed to acres and acres, it's really fun sometimes. I love I love, you know, flipping the brain over to being able to be that specific instead of well, we have X amount of hundreds of acres that just need to be completely just like we're so we're missing the the ball so much that we just need to get this thing way back into shape. But but when you have a 40 acre 80 acre track like you can be very specific on what it is that you're what you're shooting for um, because of the workload but because of just the detail that you can provide on on that scale and so that's really fun to see he's gonna think about the properties going from you know up the tiers if you're if you're a smaller property you can get to tier four really quick and for not that much money and correct you know Y'all talked about how y'all's property set up, man. I don't think I have a single property that's anywhere any better than a two. Mm-hmm. And but what I have started doing is because I'm spread so thin in, in so many areas. What I have started doing is I take areas and I I ramp those areas up. I focus on yes. one one part of the property, basically like a forty acre or a twenty acre part of my property. And I ramp that thing up to scale really quick. Crank it to a and 10. And so when that one's done, and then I and then I go to the next one yeah. and do the same thing at that one. Whereas they're all tier two across the board, but then you've got a couple of tier four areas on the property. And I just chip away at them that way. I just Instead of spreading yourself across a whole entire property, you, know, you may start focusing on an area and get that area up to speed. Because sure. you're going to see the, the quickest results from that area doing that. Yes. And... And then you, you don't get overwhelmed trying to do the whole entire property all at one time. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Nope. You're, you're spot on. Uh, that, that's a, that's an option. And that's way, honestly, like in the schedule of work kind of things that we include in the plan, it's like sometimes that if the property fits that mold, we'll focus in and be like, start right here. Just, just hammer this out, then move on. Um, so all in that design process is, um, that implementation, let's say, side of things is broken down into that that type of scale. So perfect. Now, what's interesting is like we're going to go from this property, which is talking about small scale, and the next farm um, is the complete opposite. It's a very large farm. Um, but was was this very large farm any different with regard to? I know they had a lot of good like manicured food plots. Hunt strategy was was pretty dialed, but beyond a food plot, habitat offering was there much difference between the smaller one and the larger one? Very, very little. 
Um, the, the biggest thing that the big property was, was lacking was quality bedding. Um, it, they let, had planted. Let, let's talk ahead. about that real quick. I, <clears throat> 2,500 plus acres, right? We're talking yeah. from a size standpoint. So a very large chunk of ground and people would be shocked to hear us say that it didn't have quality cover on the place. Like there was probably a very small, small percentage. Let's say, what do you, what do you think? Less than 2% that you would have said, yeah, that, oh, that's that's yeah. what we're looking for. Yeah. Right? Uh, maybe, maybe. I mean, I, and I think some of that was accidental. That sure. The tree blew down. You know, like it was, yeah. it was really, really not good. And that's, um, but like, I want people to like think about that of, of we're talking about quality cover and it's that hard to find. I can understand that on a, on a 40 or an 80, but we're talking about 2,500 acres where it's yeah. like, you didn't hardly come across an area where you're like, okay, replicate this here. You guys did X or tornado came through or whatever. That just wasn't even present on that scale of a farm. So, so, but but let's honestly say too that it's not like this farm though doesn't have a good age structure and that they aren't killing some quality deer, they are, yeah. But they've recognized that it can be better and and right. like kudos to them, one hundred percent. Like just because you have the acreage size working in your favor doesn't mean that the habitat is in check or offering all that it can be there's still a lot of improvement, even though you might be harvesting, you know, top end for an Alabama location to like someone else might outside in be like, well, you guys got it. Like you're there, you're already there. Like you have the size, you have the age structure, boom. But it's like the habitat wasn't, wasn't dialed enough to say that you're there. And that's, that's really where you come in. But again, just, Everyone dreams about twenty five hundred acres and, and a good age structure. That's good, but like there is it is it can be better and one of the lowest holes in the bucket for them and in many places too is just finding quality cover. Yeah, and what quality cover was there would probably not even be quality cover in the next three to five years. Um sure. it would stage out as well. Um lot of lot of cedar thickets on the property and that was the only quality cover that I could really find. Um, and you know, and those areas were, were pretty good, but they were bigger and kind of vast and not really where you wanted deer to be bedding. Um, they, you kind of had to, the access wasn't great to them, um, and stuff like that, but they like their access to their stands was so good. Like I'm actually going to, uh, take, the phrase that they use for their stand access and start implementing it at all my plans. Um, they call them sneak trails. And that was, that was really, I thought it was a cool term. Yeah. Uh, they'll take a little trail through some stuff and like you're hidden all the way to the stand, which is what we always preach all the time. You know, yes. don't, don't walk out into your food plot. And, uh, and even they had some that, that weren't completely perfect. It could do just a little bit of tweaking, a little switch sure. trash screen to make it that, that last little edge better. Um, but they, they really did understand how to hunt so that the hunting strategy wasn't so much what I was trying to teach them. It was more like, Hey, we've got to put bedding here. This is why 
this field right here is not doing all that great because they're betting so far away from it. Like yeah. it, they're probably betting half mile to a mile away, Oof. or just at random. Yes. And so, like you know, you're stacking a deer into this spot right here. They're going to be 50 yards away from your food plot. You're going to see them a lot more frequently in daylight hours. Ah, you know, absolutely. And, and and they're baiting like crazy. They've been corning like on every single food plot has uh, a big old giant gravity feeder. Yes. Um, and they were even talking about uh, how they've just got so many does and just a bunch of little bucks just hang out with those feeders all the time. And I'm like, man, you're, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Yes. Like, you know, you, you've got all those does and little bucks hanging out the feeders. You're not seeing the big bucks. Well, the big bucks aren't really coming to your feeders, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You're, I would rather move some of those feeders off food plots. Um, get get a couple of feeders. You don't need you don't need fifteen feeders on a on a thousand acre property. Right. Um, right. Two or three, and in transitional type zones instead of food plot areas. Um, those big bucks, just to me, I, I've I've even done some some research with it on my own farms, and man, in this this past year. I did not see a single mature buck. I'm talking about mature buck, five five years old or older, eating at a feeder on a on a gigantic property. Right. I had the same bucks within fifty to hundred yards of the feeders on scrapes, but they would not come anywhere near the feeder. So, be careful about how many feeders you have on the property and where you're putting them on the property, because I just don't think that it's 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 the greatest thing. Now. Granted, some people may go and kill a five-and-a-half-year-old buck on a feeder, sure, but your man days spent hunting over a feeder are a whole lot higher than your man days spent hunting a mature buck in transitional cover or around bedding thickets. I think, so I, just, yeah. I think you said that opposite. Uh, you, uh, got, you got more man days hunting over a feeder than yes. you do. Yes, 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 yes. I said it opposite. Okay. Yep. Yeah, you're going to have – there's a lot more. There's a lot more opportunities to see them in transitional cover and bedding and around bedding sure. than you're going to see a big buck over a feeder. Oh. You'll spend a lot of days hunting a big buck over a feeder and have to guess the right day. Yeah, um, I, 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 uh, I talked to a potential client the other day about just what he was seeing, what he wasn't seeing, and it was just that like dusk movement you know, nocturnal, it looks great. The farm hunt's great at night, right? Well, on, on show yeah. camera, it's like, they're all there. He goes, but I just don't see anything at night. I'm like, well, there's one of, one of two things. Either your access in is bumping the deer that you are hunting or the deer that you're hunting aren't even bedded on you or close to you. And that's why you're seeing everything at night. And I said, yeah, your, your strategy, and this was a Kansas uh, farm. I said, your strategy has got to be focused on cover and not food. Because if you have cover, a lot of people think that that yes, I'm 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 feeding the deer. This is but the purpose of 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 food really in in most of these neighborhoods where there's food everywhere is you're just trying to be one of the sources that attract deer to a given location. Like you're just trying to attract them, which means that they're not there, right? But if you if you have the cover present that is secure and dense enough to hold, then you're holding the deer and then your food plot is actually feeding them. But, but if they're not, if the deer aren't bedded like close to you or in proximity, you're just trying to have food that attracts them. But 
the value becomes holding the deer in the cover because no matter what, no matter the size of the farm, let's say, when it starts to crack daylight in the morning, deer are coming to you, to those yeah. dense pockets. And in the evening, they're already on you, and then they're leaving potentially from you to go elsewhere. So if you're going to be anything, be cover. Small property, right. medium property, large-scale property. If you know where deer are bedding, that is the advantage. The advantage is not knowing where they're feeding. And that's not saying you have to hunt them in the bed. That just means I know where they're bedded at because I created cover that provides security, density, and everything for them. And I know where the food is, so I know where they're at, and I know where they're going. I can get in the middle. And quality cover attracts bigger bucks. Like oh, that's, gosh, that's just what yes. I, think, I think people miss so many times is that those those biggest bucks are, are seeking out that extremely high quality cover. I mean, they have they didn't get to five years old by being dumb. They have figured something out. Correct. And so if you can stack in the cover on your farm, they'll spend a lot more daylight activity on your farm because their mature bucks are, are very – they moved in the day just like other deer do. Maybe not quite as much as your three-year-olds, but they're still they moving move. a lot during the day. Yeah, and I mean, my trail cameras tell me that all the time. I see so many pictures of mature bucks on mock scrapes in daylight hours. And so I know they're moving in daylight hours because they've got good cover. Yes. And so if Absolutely. you're not seeing big bucks in daylight hours, it's probably because you have very, very bad cover. Yep. I mean, it's, that's so common. I mean, so stinking common. So big farm, little farm, small farm, it does not matter focus on cover first and initially and i just about every single property that i go to we have to address the cover because it's it's just it's either very poorly represented or not literally not represented at all period when what this property had that was you know good cover is not going to be good for many 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 more years maybe two or three more years at best and what and this, this property had a lot of different stages of that. So like there's, there's a lot of cedar and ash on these, on these areas. It's pretty much the only tree that'll grow yeah. down in that soil top. Right. And so, um, kind of their old field areas, that's what's the predominantly out there is just a bunch of cedar and ash. And you know, if there's not frequent enough fire, then fire starts to where you can't even run through those cedars. And then he had some on his property, man, it was, whole entire blocks of cedar trees that I could barely reach around. Wow. And it's like, man, now the work that you're going to have to do in those areas to get this back to where it probably would have been fields yes. back a long time ago. <clears throat> like that's what, that's what this historical index would have been was this would have been a prairie and now it's closed canopy, giant log cedars and, if you can't find somebody to take these cedars, which is very hard to find down yes. here, um, now you've got a lot of work in front of you to get that part of the property good, which luckily this guy, he's like, let's do it. I, I want to make the property as good as it can be. And like, that's the best, you know, client you can have is because they want to see it through to the end exactly. and know that the vision is going to be better than what it is now. And so it was yep. a little bit different scenario. Um, and some of these areas, if you were to just drop all of these cedars for TSI, basically, 
you would have such a big mess that would be so impenetrable. Like, I don't think anything but a rabbit could use it. Sure, right. And so, you know, the prescription in this area was we're going to, you know, we're going to stack some up. We're going to burn some. We're going to, you know, we're going to leave some just standing and just hack and squirt those and then create a couple little bedding pockets in there. And then we're basically going to stack some around out, out around the edges and make more like windrow type stuff burn and then hopefully steer deer more towards the interior and towards some of his, his areas. We're going to use cedars to basically steer deer and transition them from bedding and, and into food plot areas. Yeah. But yeah. it was, uh, it's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be, you know, something that needs to be done, but at the same time, it's, it's, it was a good representation. Like, Hey, if you don't do something in these areas, this is what it will look like in 20 years. Uh, absolutely. So, and and I, I love how it's like the, the process of creating the bedding thicket is what we're, you're just recycling. Like you're, you're using yeah. that material for what it is um, or, or, or changing the value of it and now creating more value out of it. Um, maybe it's upcycling. I don't know, but you're, it was the direction it was going was horrid and there was a, there was yeah. a need on the property. So it's okay. Let's use this material. Let's manipulate it through herbicide, through heavier equipment, through burning all this jazz to create what we want out of it to get that end result. And that's what I think is so important is cover seems like it's super easy to create. And, and in general it is, it's pretty easy to create, but the, the techniques, cause every single unit's different, but the techniques that you're going to utilize based on that debris load is going to change dramatically. And so you have to know what to do with X debris to create that end result. And if not, you can mess it up pretty quickly just because of, you didn't think of debris loads. Yeah. You didn't think, of, or you're, you're actually not comfortable burning that. And it's like, you have to be particular and you have to be, um, know the right combinations of types of cuts, types of herbicide, or well, amount of herbicide to use versus keep it standing. All those things to end result say, yep, deer are going to bed there. That's for sure. So good job. Yeah, and this property had, this property had so many different, um, habitat types that we were creating bedding thickets in. Like, yes, I think I had four different bedding thicket prescriptions, right. Um, for this property, because, you know, there was a couple of them that were in timber, but it's like prairie timber, which is a different prescription than what I do for, you know, anywhere else, pretty much in Alabama. Sure. Um, and then, then you've got your old field type bedding thicket. Like his, he had some really cool spots that he had planted in native warm season grasses. And like deer were actually bedding in it some, but like there really wasn't any food. So like, you know, bedding thickets, you don't think just cover. It's, it's also, it's also woody brows and, and food that they're, they may bed in the area and then stand up and eat for a little bit and bed back down and, and, and stuff like that. So like yeah, yeah. those, those old field areas, with no woody brows, no uh, no blackberries, nothing but just grasses, they may be good cover, but they're not actually feeding deer in the bedding area. Right. And right. so we're going to go and create some shrub mots. Basically, he's going to drag some of these giant cedars he's got to get rid of out there into those old field areas, and he's going to plant shrubs in all of that. Oh, I like that. It's going to be it's going to be dual purpose. Deer are going to probably bed around it some, but it's going to be mainly for his quail because he does have quail. And then lots of turkeys. So 
it's going to be woody escape cover for for all of his upland species sure sure very good very good well dude that sounds that sounds phenomenal um i i i I know you're having to wrap up but i got to wrap up here um now as well is there any other high points that you want to um make known here about this farm um and and what it's going to be um no i think that's that's pretty much it it was literally going and setting up cover and then also setting up bedding thickets to where he's got a lot of transition zones in between yeah um you know there's you know his basic strategy was mostly food plots yep and uh which is fine. They were, they were having success with that, but I think they were missing the bucket for a lot of morning stands to be sure. able to catch deer transitioning. And like a lot of the ways I was creating all of this was kind of in a linear portion to where he can have access to get in between a lot of these areas, TSI in those areas between the bedding thickets. And now he's got awesome morning stand locations in transitional zones, especially during the rut transitioning between bedding thickets and so that was the biggest the biggest change i made on 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 a lot of it is just putting the bedding in in places that were accessible to hunt yeah that's good stuff dude really good stuff um we covered a lot in in a little bit of time but i just this is going to give people the idea of like okay these are the different scenarios these are just some of the ways that we can address these problems common common problems right um but what you do with all that material the species all of it matters so you know you have to be particular you have to be specific um and you have to be very intentional about what it is you're doing to create that end that end result but the idea um and the problems are are present almost everywhere right and and, and it's just pretty much everywhere the specific the specifics of what you do in those areas changes from farm to farm. So, um, dude, I think, I think you did a great job. You're rocking and rolling with consulting. Um, you're, you're, you're making the right recommendations. You're putting together plans that are digestible, um, that are practical and that makes sense from a natural resource management standpoint. And, and I love that aspect of the work that you're doing. Um, getting rave reviews from folks. And so guys, Alan's a real deal. If you want, um, if you're interested and you are kind of Southeast and you want to talk to Alan, um, let us know, um, reach us at info at Um, we'll get you guys in contact and, um, we just appreciate everyone listening. Alan, we appreciate your time this morning and sharing all that information. Um, and reviewing some work that you that you've been on. You've got a busy couple of weeks coming up here, um, and so we'll have to have you on again here shortly to cover those projects because they're going to be pretty pretty cool as well. So, um, man, appreciate your time. Go. I, I think you're burning burning today, aren't you? Yeah, doing a burn today. Sweet. I got two different properties. I burned for another client last week. Um, I've got one burn on my own property, so you know you I'm go. trying to knock all the all the other other guys out first, and I we'll get mine ready to go so right it's uh it's here it's it's habitat season it's consulting season it's uh it's you know it's all all kind of mixed together now so very good very good sounds good man well we'll um we appreciate everyone listening guys and we'll catch you here next week